0: found that a lot of these people know all my movies really even better than I do and they know all of Marty's films and they know all of Brian De Palma's films and George Lucas's films and and they're getting to know all of Quentin Tarantino's th- three films and, you know, but uh, but what's happening is they don't know much beyond that and when I say what are your favorite films from the old days from the black and white days the 30s and 40s I I don't get a lot of answers that that give me comfort and and I and i'm finding that if people are going to just study the movie brats of the 1970s you know what they're learning is a pretty weak carbon copy because all the movie brats learn from the masters of the 40s and 50s and 30s and and and, and i'm sure those in the 50s and 40s learned from the silent movie mat masters and so we're all handing influences down and inspiring from generation to generation and i kind of am a little bit sad that a lot of the young people today kind of have a cutoff point for their own personal influences and that's like they don't know a lot of pictures in the pre 60s
1: Good morning, everybody. How are you? Uh, Welcome to the brand new episode of the Friday, sort of end of the week, in love with the process, (laughs) ILWP, as I've been putting on most of the graphics, uh, because uh, attention spans are narrow, and people don't like to say full words. (laughs) Hold on as I drink. Mm. But hey, welcome. Thank you for joining me. I decided to sit down this morning before uh, getting into a little bit of editing work for Gina and uh, bang on an episode because you guys really responded to my episode on last Friday, which was the breakdown that I did of uh, one of my favorite scenes from Temple of the Doom. Temple of Doom, not Temple of the Doom. What a fucking moron. Anyway, so... Yeah, I figured I'd I'd uh, continue with that trend a bit here because I am deep 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 in uh research and uh doing my homework for a movie hopefully that gets made soon. Um and I am deep 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 in uh my my one of my biggest influences who's Spielberg and I played that clip at the beginning of the show uh with him talking about uh how the films that came prior to him were an influence on him. How every generation of filmmakers is essentially looking back at the movies that they liked as kids and basically trying to recreate that in their own way. Um, which is really interesting. Uh, and he's also kind of giving us all shit because we're not going back and watching the movies that influenced those guys, which is true. Uh, that's why I really suggest you go back and you look at um, some uh, Ford movies, if you go back and you look at Kurosawa movies, Howard Hawks, right? You go back and look at a lot of those westerns that these guys grew up loving. Uh, Go back and watch the original Scarface. Go back and watch all those old black and white gangster movies, film noir movies. There are so many great places to go for great inspiration. And, I, you know, I guess... The benefit of a lot of folks not going back and watching that stuff is that if you go back and dig deep and are influenced by the original, like the origins of the language of cinema, and then start to incorporate it into your own work, uh, people are going to be like, where the fuck did this come from? You're a fucking genius. It's like, well, no, you just <laughs> you just don't go back and watch the classics, man. That's basically it. Mm. So <clears throat> how's how's everybody doing? Before we get into doing another breakdown, I figured, let's just catch up. How are you doing? How are you feeling? How are you doing? Uh, you guys depressed this week? You guys feeling good this week? Um, I've been feeling all right. I just had, to be completely candid, I just had my first, in a long time, my first own day, like a day where everybody else isn't around, where the roommates aren't around, I actually had a full day to myself yesterday, uh, and it was fucking refreshing. <laughs> it really was. Um, Bull Gina and Mike ended up going to do a shoot yesterday. They did. They went and got COVID tested, and they went and they did a uh, COVID friendly, not a COVID friendly, but a COVID safe uh, shoot. Uh, for the big project that Gene is working on, which basically meant that they were gone for about 13 hours yesterday. And I uh, had initially thought that I was going to do some prep work and some work, but man, I just took I just took the day for myself, which has been great. I ended up making a breakfast yesterday. I f- basically filmed making one of my favorite things yesterday, breakfast sandwich, and uh, went through the whole process uh, beginning to end, on how I made one of my favorite breakfast sandwiches. And I was doing it on Instagram live. And if any of you no, Now when you do Instagram live. It gives you the opportunity to upload it to their IGTV. Um, but the motherfucker crashed. Okay Instagram get your shit together. The motherfucker crashed. And when it crashes. It loses the content. The content's gone. So that was like. I don't know. 45 minutes worth of work. That's what I get. That's what I get for relying on a fucking app that's what i get so those of you who saw it live uh and those of you who follow me at Petty on instagram actually got to see the sandwich made got to see the recipe put into place um but uh the rest of you uh could just bitch out fucking instagram <laughs> and there's a lot of you who's like i we don't care what you eat we're here for you to talk about movies and shit who fucking cares what it is that you're putting in your mouth dickhead Uh, i guess you're right i guess you're right i don't know maybe it's an ego thing right maybe maybe it's because i think i know better than you do (laughs) about food you know i don't know anything i don't know anything i'm just lonely guys (laughs) says the guy who was really excited about having 13 hours to himself yesterday (laughs) <laughs> um but what, one thing that I have been doing uh in my movie prep stuff, and it's it's something that I can't believe I didn't do okay um because you know i've i've spent if you don't know this already about me i'm i I come from the visual world, so cinema to me is visual storytelling, and so I've spent Years and years sort of studying from the greats, years and years sort of practicing the craft of like conveying emotion with camera moves and with blocking. Um and you know, it's only part of the job as a director, you know, the other part and one of the probably the more important part is uh doing working with talent and trying to get great performances and trying to get solid scenes put into place and because I didn't go to an acting school because I don't come from the stage because I don't have any of that stuff. And I think a lot of you guys will will sympathize with this. When you start to hear working with actors and communicating with actors and actors preparation, a lot of that stuff sounds mythical, right? Like, what does that fucking mean? You know, actors preparation, you go learn your lines, right? You go learn your lines and you figure that out. Uh, And for years, I've just trying to get into that, trying to, get better at it and you know working on commercials and going through the process of casting and understanding how to get the most out of casting sessions and how to find people and and you know when you're doing commercial stuff it's it's usually pretty quick you know the deadlines the turnarounds are pretty intense and so when you're doing casting sessions you're you're just seeing like fucking hordes of people and most of the time you have the clients over your back and they're, they're basically shopping for couches. You know what I mean? Like I want the big fluffy one. I want the blue one. You know what I mean? It's very sort of visually specific, you know, this fits this demographic for us and this person fits this demo for us. And we only have these type of people that buy our product and we got a warehouse full of this shit. So fucking get that guy, you know, and that's most of what commercial casting is. And I've talked about that on other episodes on the show. With other commercial directors. So definitely go dig deep because we get into that. Um, But then it's like, okay, so now that I've cast these people, like, how do I convey uh, what it is that needs to happen in the scene? How do I translate, as always, the ultimate issue? How do I translate what's in my head to this individual and then how do they make it work? Right. And if I've never taken an acting course, and if you haven't taken an acting course it's like okay so these guys went off and took this magical course that gives them the ability to turn on and off emotion and they should just be able to do it right and when i was younger it was like okay how do i describe to them can you can you make that can you make that bigger can you uh how about we do that a bit more intense or do that faster and you're giving them these instructions that are very similar to the type of instructions that you would give uh, your cinematographer, your camera operator, your Steadicam operator, you know, like, or your wardrobe department, like, uh, give me the blue one, give me the red one. It's very mechanical choices. They're very mechanical choices one way or the other. Um, And it never really seems to work. You know, you give a human being these directions and they kind of look at you cross-eyed. Uh, and, and what's even worse is that, as a director, and I've seen this happen with a lot of different directors, you get frustrated. And so then you start to act it out. Like, what if you do it like this? And then you start to do that. And then, then what you're getting from the actors is this really bad impression of you doing a bad job acting. <laughs> so it's <clears throat> in the beginning, at least, it was very complicated and very difficult. And uh, over the years, I got a little bit better at it, you know, doing the, doing 12KM, I learned a lot um, from Ernst, who played the professor, and he had years and years of stage experience, and I learned a lot from Gene Ravin, who's in it as well, and he was also in the Who's There piece, and so working together with these folks, I, I learned more and more, and I, I started to learn that there is two sides of your brain that you have to work on with this. Like when you're dealing with your cinematographer, when you're dealing with your crew, it's a very mechanical-based instruction set that you're dealing with. Can you change that to a wide shot? You know what I mean? Like it's very simplistic as far as that's concerned. But then when you're dealing with a human being, right, you're looking at this person and you're like, okay, how are you going to bring like life how are you going to breathe life and emotion into this you know the script you know and and how do you tell somebody to do that how do you how do you inspire somebody to do that and the, the longer i worked the more i realized it was just about talking it was about telling stories it was about you know conveying experiences that i've had and in hearing their experiences that they've had that may have some sort of emotional connection or context to what it is that you're trying to pull off, you know. Um, but even then, you know, and this is me working for 19 years, you know, even then it's like, okay, I feel like I'm sort of a passenger in on this journey with these guys. I don't feel like I'm in control of it. And this week, I don't know why it took me so fucking long to do this. This week... I was just sort of, you know, dealing with the realities of, of potentially doing a big movie and, and wanting to get as much prep done as possible. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but as we're sort of sitting here in waiting, um, I there are days that go by. I'm like, what am I doing today? Am I wasting today? What am I fucking doing? I got a free pass today. Today's a free day, you know? And I had one of those days earlier in the week. And I was just like, you know, why don't I just go and examine the, like the places that actors go to for their info, right? Let, let let me pretend like I'm going to be an actor for a bit and let me go and maybe I'll do some reading and find uh, the places that these folks look for, for instruction. Um, and so I started this week and I've been, I've been listening because I got an Audible, and Audibles. This isn't a sponsor plug. I'm not doing sponsors on this, but I got an Audible um, account a while ago, and uh, so I went and I uh, downloaded a really great book that I am just about done with. I've got about two hours left, Um, and it's on uh, Sanford Meisner. So those of you who are actors listening to this, you you guys are all like, "Yes, of course." You know what I mean? This is this is the beginning. And I get it. Um, I'm catching up. Don't worry. I'll be there. Um, but this Meisner book, Meisner on acting, uh, is really fucking good. It's really good. Uh, and it's, as I listen to this, and it's basically, uh, it's it's well put together. Like the, the people that are doing the audio reads for Audible are fantastic. Uh, the guy who's playing Meisner sounds like Peter Falk, you know, from... Uh, from maid, if you remember maid or go back even further to Colombo, we remember Colombo. It sounds just like him. Um, so it's very entertaining to hear. Um, and it's sort of a, it's sort of a record of how he teaches certain classes. and so we come in and out of classes and we hear him instructing some of his students and then we hear a lot of his philosophies on acting and how to get prepared and what preparation really means. I had my mind blown open with preparation. And then I also had my mind blown open with what preparation is built for. And I could do an entire episode. I probably should on this. But just to give you a tease, just a taste of what it is that I learned this week, when you send an actor away to prepare, every actor has their own process to get in the right mindset for the scene, right? And the thing that's interesting about the Meisner technique Uh, as opposed to a lot of others, he's not expecting you to draw on traumatic experiences from your own life. So he's not teaching that he's not teaching you to go, okay, so in this scene, you need to cry. So you should probably go in the corner and think about uh, when they were lowering your mother down into a fucking grave. You know what I mean? And at first I was like, well, doesn't that make sense? Doesn't it make sense to sort of go to an intensely emotional portion of your life and sort of mine from that? But he had a good point. He says, basically paraphrasing, he says that uh, when you have an experience, right, and you go through some sort of traumatic event or you have a memory, you remember it in a very specific way, especially if it's fresh, right? If it's a fresh memory, then you feel a certain way about it. But the longer that memory exists and the more you change and develop as a human being, the way you feel that memory changes as well, right? The, the way you process what happened to you changes as well. So it, it starts to change. It starts to, I don't want to say distill, but it's difficult if you're literally using that as like a piece of your toolbox. Like, hey, I got to cry today. So I'm going to pull out my, you know, the death of my mom and uh, that'll do it you know it starts to get tainted because mentally you're 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 saying to yourself okay well this is what this thing is for and then you start as you start to mind that you start to remember other times you mind that and how you felt on that and maybe you were frustrated and that that sort of plays into it and so it ultimately you can't rely on it right and so what he teaches or taught was uh it's all about imagination it's all about training yourself to be able to imagine situations that affect you like that so imagine what it would be like you know if let's say that you were let's say that your your parent was sick your mom was sick and she required medication and you were getting trained as a nurse's aide and you decided that you knew better about this medication dose because of something that you learned in that class that day or that week or some some experience and you accidentally overdose and kill your mother. Right? Now, I didn't do that. I'm sure you, I'm sure 99% of the people listening to the show haven't done that, but imagine what that would be like. Imagine what that would feel like. And it's a difficult thing to do, you know? Like I with anything the imagination muscle is a muscle. You have to continuously train it. You have to be able to uh, flex that and work on that. And I think that's where the talent of actors preparation comes in, is that these these folks are consist, con- continuously, man, my mouth, continuously working on that skill. What would it be like? What would it be like to put a gun to the temple of your best friend and pull that trigger and, and literally watch his skull fragments come out of the back of his head. And then what is it like after that adrenaline drops and you're looking at this, this dead person and then that panic that floods in. And what is that panic? How can you relate? What is, what does that relate to you for you? And I think you're still going back and drawing upon your personal experiences, but you're, you're drawing more on <clears throat> when you felt that specific emotion right like uh, oh apparently James Cameron's flying over the house in his fucking uh, that sounds like a Blackhawk to me man my voice is shit today <clears throat> so it was interesting it was, it was an interesting outlook on that and then the thing that I, fo- that, I, that I found the most interesting is that most of the time when you're asking an actor to prep right if you're doing it right If you're asking an actor to prep for a scene, you're asking them to get themselves in the right emotion for the first second of that scene, for when they walk into that moment. Which is interesting, right? Because then once they walk into that moment feeling a specific emotion, then the scene itself, their scene partner changes everything. So each time you run that scene, it could be a little bit different. It should be a little bit different which is interesting. And then as a director, what are you doing? How are you giving them the direction? How are you giving them the guidance, right? Are you Are giving them guidance prior to that before they go do their preparation? Like you're giving them help with an imaginary world. Like imagine before we do this scene, imagine in this sequence this and go prepare for that. And so if it's a great actor, they go and they prepare for that sequence and then they come in and do it. And then maybe you're also talking to the other actor and you're like, okay, I know that there's this specific prop that they're going to come in and grab, but what if we hide that prop? So why, why don't we hide that prop? Or you say to that, that uh, the scene partner, like uh, I don't want you to respond when you're supposed to respond. Don't respond at all. Cause you're, you're changing that environment and through that change, you're creating something new, something different. And if the actor is prepared well enough, then they're in a certain emotional state, and so that change will affect that emotion, and that emotion will affect how they respond to that change. Fucking cool, right? Like I said, I could do a whole episode on this shit, and I need to learn more about it before I feel like I can. Um, and I'm I'm deep in this book. I think this book is really great. And those of you who are in the same boat that I'm in, where you're like, look, I, I, I've never taken an acting course, you know, and I, I really need to understand how this stuff works. Do yourself a favor, as I say all the time on the show, do yourself a favor and uh, check out this book, uh, Sanford Meisner on Acting. Like I said, it's on Audible. What am I got left here? I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's a nine hour read and I have two hours left. So there you go. That that tells you how great that book is. Um, I don't know if you're going to hear it in the final mix. The AC is on in the background. It's so hot in Los Angeles right now. So I'm just going to let it run. So if you guys hear a little hum in the background, deal with it. (laughs) It's the difference between me sweating through my clothes and you guys going, oh, it's a little noisy. (laughs) Um, So... Enough about all of that. So, but besides doing the actors prep, which I'm loving right now, it's inspiring me. It's changing the way I'm going to direct things, which I, which I'm very happy with. Um, I've also continued to go back and uh, start to study the greats, start to study the people that I feel like are relevant to the movie that I'm about to do. Um, and our man Steven Spielberg is uh, right at the top because. Uh, it's, not about, it's not about ripping him off. Let me just be 100% upfront about this. It's not about ripping him off. It's not about trying to make a remake of one of his movies or trying to remake one of his scenes. It's got nothing to do with that. It's about studying the language of cinema that he perfected that was based upon the people that he was influenced. So he, does, he did the same thing. He was back there looking at Howard Hawks. He was back there looking at Hitchcock and he was studying their language and then filling his toolbox with that language skill, right? So then when he is designing sequences and he's the master at designing sequences and blocking, um, he reaches back to language that he has seen and how he felt when he heard that language or saw that language. Um, and it's kind of the same thing and uh let's do it let's do it some more today you guys in you guys ready you guys want to do some stuff Mm. okay let me see here i'm just queuing some stuff up okay so let's go and look at uh one of my favorite movies from him it's a classic um anybody that is my age is like well duh (laughs) of course (laughs) Um, but it blows my mind that there's a lot of younger filmmakers that haven't seen this movie If you haven't seen it yet, go watch Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Okay? Not only is it a fun movie, not only is it a fascinating movie on how we handle the first encounter with aliens, um, it's also a fantastic movie for, for practical visual effects. Like a lot of those visual effects are really cool, all in camera stuff. This is prior to 3D animation, so it's all optical which is awesome. So whether it's like the clouds and the sky and the sky replacement, or it's like shooting models, um, doing mats, matte paintings, all really, really beautiful stuff. Fantastic performances in that movie. Richard Dreyfuss is amazing in that film. The supporting cast is amazing in that movie. Um, I absolutely love the translation scenes. Big influence on me. Uh, for 12 cam this movie was a huge influence uh, for me on 12 cam and let's start let me see if we can make this work here one second man my voice is fucked today let's start with a scene i'm gonna put the links below right and here's the thing some one of these scenes isn't clean on uh YouTube. It's like a rough version of it, so I'll stick it up there. But the version that I'm going to be playing of the next scene, not this scene, the next scene will be off of my uh, Voodoo account. Um, But I'll talk you through it. Anyway, first scene, link is below. (laughs) This is Close Encounters of the Third Kind, air traffic control scene. Uh, You'll find it on YouTube. Or like I said, link is below in the description. And let's get started with it. One second, and here we go.
2: four seventy one, contact one three four point He's on two point five. I'll be right back.
1: Okay. So let me just start out by saying. I love the old school technology from the eighties. I really do I love how big it is. I love how big the set pieces are with it um I love how analog it all feels uh I know that you guys love this shit too because you know you get this vibe with Star Wars and the production uh design and the and the world that has been continuously made to real- to feel like it's part of the eighties so i'll of the, uh, the newer films have to sort of stay in that world, which I love. Um, also with Alien, uh, a lot of that stuff with the first Alien movie, I love that stuff. It's those glowing green screens with like, like uh, I don't know if it's like 8-bit graphics, you know, on these screens. And so what what you're listening to is a, I think it's the opening of the movie, or not not the opening, but it's pretty early on in the film, where air traffic controllers are uh, trying to process an uh, an unidentified flying object. And so the the scene starts masterfully with one dolly move um, from a guy who gets up from a chair and dollies over to our main talent for the sequence. Now, I just want to stop here for a second and talk about casting. I love his casting choices for extras and for smaller parts and bit parts. I've always loved that from Spielberg. In this sequence specifically, I don't know if he's cast actual air traffic controllers for background talent, but there's so many great looking people. So many great looking, realistic people. And I don't mean just real, like, hey, I found this guy and he's got no charisma. I mean like amazing faces, people that you want to look at. So as we started from the beginning here, i going to come back and start it at like six seconds in. This dude that takes his headphones off. Barry, I love that guy. I love the suit. I love the jacket is a little too small on him. I love the, the the barrel belly button down that barely makes it into his belt. And those, those real thick... Uh, reading glasses that come specifically out of the 80s i fucking love it and then we uh dolly over to our main character in this sequence and he wheels himself into the panels he wheels himself towards the uh, computer screens and spielberg's done a really good job you can see it right above the computer screen uh the cinematographer is sort of blasting this green light through this gap um, to recreate the look of the light on our actor's face, which is so cool. Aries
2: 31 negative. The only traffic I have is a TWA L1011 in your uh, 6 o'clock position, range uh, 15 miles. And an Allegheny DC9 in your 12 o'clock position, 50 miles. Uh, stand by one, I'll take a look at broadband.
1: Okay, the fucking sound design is badass. <laughs> <laughs> it really is like all the different radio sounds that are going on in the background. You know that this isn't what's in that guy's headsets, right? Like it, the, the, the air traffic controller, he's not having to process all like these weird radio noises and fucking strange, like garbling in the background. But Spielberg adds that chaos to it. He adds that stress element because being an air, air traffic controller is one of the most stressful jobs. period right? Cause you're basically in charge with the lives of hundreds and thousands of people that are sealed in these tubes flying at hundred miles an hour at each other. And you're basically trying to guide these airplanes so that they don't smash into each other, especially at that time period where it wasn't like an automated science yet. It was very much a human thing. Um, and there've been movies about this made and there's books about this written about how incredibly stressful this job is. So, He does a really good job showing how calm these guys are ultimately, but adds to the chaos. Instead of having a room full of people running from station to station, you know what I mean? The kind of shit that you would see in a television show right now. Like, let's make this room intense. And then there'd be handheld camera and there'd be people like whipping in front of the frame. He doesn't do that. He does like a very sort of smooth uh, camera move to land on our, main character and that sort of move isn't about adding intensity it's about sort of taking our attention and sort of bringing it into the spot right he does it so subconsciously so that we that language is so instilled within us that we're not like hey the camera's moving from position one to position two it's like we're getting drawn into this sequence into the moment that this one character is having because of that camera move
2: Slightly above the Aries 31, Roger. I have a primary target about that position now. I have no known high-altitude traffic. Uh, stand by one. I'll check low over. Okay?
1: So he does such a great job too of coming up with interesting coverage as he's basically sitting on one moment, right, one scene, instead of just playing this scene uh handheld, which handheld so fucking overrated and you see so much of it in television right now and i think ultimately because of their schedule right because you don't necessarily have a shitload of time to get through these scenes and oftentimes it just seems like they're like get me two cameras three camera operators we'll go handheld we'll move we'll add energy Get me some zoom lenses and we'll bang 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 this fucking scene out this is prior to this this is when it's a craft this is when each of these camera setups mean something. I love the reflection. I love how he played that last bit, which was at like uh, 53 seconds in, that last bit of just his reflection on the screen. Not only do we get to see what he's looking at, not only do we have a point of reference to what they're talking about on the radios, but we also see how he interacts with that screen because then I see his face, I see him uh, putting his pen on that screen or whatever that controller is. Um, And what that essentially does is that gets rid of Two pieces of coverage, right? Because you may go well. He's while we hear that guy talking on the radio. Maybe I do a close-up on his ear with the with the headphones on his ear, and then I have to show his face and how he how he responds to that stuff in his face, and then I have to show the screen. And Spielberg does it with one shot.
2: Dick, will you check low altitude and see if they know who this is? is thirty-one. The traffic's not lower than us. It's one o'clock now. Still above oh. me and descending. Aries 31. Can you
1: say aircraft type? Okay, two things. One, I love the accent on these guys. I love sort of the blue collar thing that's going on. I fucking love that. And how obnoxious that guy's voice on that radio sounds. So cool. Love that. Then each time he cuts, he cuts on some sort of action, right? So it's either the gentleman sitting back and looking over his shoulder. So that's the cut point and the sense of action that's involved with that. Or... When he leans forward past the uh, the other guy in the foreground, and it's these movements that are drawing us in to it, are drawing us into something that may not be right. It's part of that suspense. And he's not moving the camera for that; he's got the actor moving that for that in that shot.
2: Uh, negative center, uh, no distinct outline. Uh, I'll tell you, the truth, the target is rather brilliant. It has bright as any collision lights I think I've ever seen
1: pollinating white to red then the looks like his supervisor or one of his uh, one of his fellow uh, air traffic controllers comes and steps down leans down and looks at the screen now <laughs> if you pause this thing at 125 and you've seen 12 cam boom <laughs> you could see what I what, what one of the scenes that was a huge influence for me uh, especially when uh, the Professor and the sound guy were listening to the hole for the first time. This was a big scene for us. This was a scene that me and Kruda looked at a bunch. Colors little striking. Center, this is DWA 517. Another character walks over, camera follows him over. We've got more people interested, which is raising the stakes for what's being said. It
2: could be a satellite. Area 31, now you have dead, a primary I like target now in your uh, 10 uh, o'clock uh, position. Uh, five up, miles or, I've
1: never... What a fascinating choice. Right. So he starts to have these other guys talking over our main character as he's trying to give um, instructions to the plane, which is really cool. This is very like Robert Altman. Let's play that back. Let me come back a bit here. All right. Starting at 138.
2: Could be a satellite. Aries 31. Now you have uh, the primary have the target the now in your 10 o'clock so, position. Uh, five miles here. I've never I'm seen my
1: And he does such a good job with these guys that are talking in the background because if you're looking at this, I paused at 146, there are four men now. And because he's doing it with anamorphic and on an anamorphic wide lens, he's got that room. He has the stage for four men in essentially a medium shot for each of them. And he starts in order because these guys are lined up to sort of draw your attention through. Now he keeps the focus of the lens on our main character. So the focus is on the guy that's talking to the airplane, which is great because that tells our eyes where to be. But he also does a really good job drawing our eyes around with contrast. So the guy at the very far left is leaning over this light panel that is super bright. So your eyes are kind of drawn to him and he starts, he starts that background chatter and slowly that background chatter filters its way down to the right past each of these subjects past our guy who's in focus the guy leaning over his shoulder who's a bit more in focus and then the foreground dude who is pretty much a silhouette except for a little green light on him it's beautiful it's a beautiful shot uh,
2: the uh,
1: Wait a second. one. Okay, center. There he's the He's right my Super cool, right? So then he goes into the insert of the very rudimentary computer effects on this monitor and to draw us in even further to sort of uh, raise the stakes and to get, our, get us feeling a bit more anxiety, they put in that sound effect, that blinking sound effect which probably isn't there, wouldn't be there normally, but it's just to get the heightened sense of reality here, to be like, oh, okay, these, this airplane may be in trouble. We're turning right
2: immediately and leaving flight level 350 now. Aries 31, descend and maintain flight level 310. Great, Gallagher, 444, turn right 30 degrees. Get on the heart of the 45th, Traffic, recon way. See what the hell they could be the testing direction. up there. Jet descending to maintain this is Indianapolis Center. Do you have any test operations, restricted area 2508? Aries 31...
1: Okay, so he does such a really good job, once again, of showing the stress that these guys are now feeling. The stakes are raising, the alarms are going off, so people are getting into action. And unlike what a modern film would do, he's not just like, the camera's not suddenly whipping from guy to guy and the positions are going. He just does this very simple, on the lens, dolly back and revealing each person as they lean in and how they respond to it. It's classy. It's fucking classy. That's not other way to say it. Roger. The traffic
0: is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion over.
2: Roger Aries 31. Continue to a your discretion over. Okay,
0: Senator. Senator Pilot's discretion is approved. The traffic is approaching
1: head on, alter right, and really moving. And he's a genius for how he uses a very singular sort of Dolly track setup, right? So essentially I don't think this was I think this was pre-slider, so that's not a slider, that's on a dolly track. Um he basically runs a line of dolly track and then gets the most out of that like he's very economical about it because it takes time it takes time to lay that out you know what i mean it takes time for your for your grip department to go in and make sure it's leveled down you put the camera on the dolly, you put it on the space so it takes a little bit of time so he takes that same run of dolly track right so he's pulling out in that close-up and you see all these heads sort of Slowly, one after another, leaning in and processing the stress. Call this guy, call that. This needs to happen. What do you think? Boom, 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 boom. Pulls it out, right? Then, when they're listening, he's the master of filming people listen. When they're listening, we push past them back in the other directions, so just back to, to position one where that other shot started. And as he pushes past these people, he comes in on our lead who, who maintains focus, right? He's the one that continuously maintains focus. So our assistant camera operator is like keeping him locked, right? So as we come past them onto him, listening and delivering like, okay, guys, uh, you should probably try to do this and you probably try to do that. That camera move isn't just about being sexy and cool, right? It's not just like, hey, I need to go into a close up. That camera move, the speed of that camera move, the focus of that, how these other people are are just watching and not saying anything as it pushed past them that is our emotion that camera move essentially through visual storytelling through the language of cinema is saying to us he's feeling anxiety we are feeling his anxiety because of that camera move does that make sense it's really fucking cool That was really
2: close. Airy thirty-one is out of three four zero on the traffic pattern. Ask him them if they want to report position. officially. eighty-five
1: seventeen. Do you want to report a UFO? Now, you go back to the same setup. So, most of these shots are all the same. But now he's crowding people around him because they had a near miss. They were almost hit. That airplane was almost hit. And so now they're. The guy asks him, "Do do do they want to officially?" Report this as a UFO and so Spielberg has done what like Caraçao has done is he's used his talent. I've, I've paused this thing at 251. okay so let's count right now. We have one, two, three, four, four of the actors that were in the prior shots plus a new guy with the glasses and his hand on his shoulder and and he's obviously a superior to everybody else, which is interesting. Now you have the curious dude in the back, on, right past him on the left, looking at our main actor, looking at how he's responding to this situation. And then Spielberg literally fills every inch of this frame with a face. He's got two other people in the background. And they're all listening. They're all listening. They're not acting. They're listening.
2: EWA 517, do you want to report a UFO?
1: Over. Now we cut to that reflection on the screen. And he's filled that reflection with as many people as possible. And our main actor. And he's fucking fantastic. We have got to figure out what his name is. Um, he's got watery eyes. He's got tears in his eyes. That's stress. That's complete stress. And the way that they light his face for that reflection and that slash of light that runs through it. Really good. This shot's a bitch to light, and you can see how that the cinematographer of this has spent the time to light each and every one of these reflective faces individually. This is all in camera, folks. Negative. We don't want to report. Ares thirty-one. Do you wish to
2: report a UFO over? Neither we want to report one of those either. Uh, Aries thirty-one. Do you wish to file a report of any kind of it? I know what kind of report to uh, 31, uh,
1: me neither. I'll try to track traffic to destination over. How fucking cool is that? Simple scene, right? Now, imagine that scene on the script, and if I had done my homework, I probably could have found it. But <clears throat> imagine what that scene looks like in the script, right? There's probably some sort of scene header, you know. Air traffic controllers sit, it's late, late at night, they're hanging out, you know. Job is going as planned. Uh, One guy gets a call. Something strange is going on. Right? And they have these moments. But it's very simple. It's, it's It's not an intense thing. He's taken a very simplistic scene and made it into one of my favorite sequences of the movie. And when I watch this scene, it makes me want to watch the fucking movie. This goes back to what we talked about last week, which is creating those sequences that are memorable creating the reasons why you want to sit down and rewatch that movie. That's this. And when you look at this, it's the casting's great. The guys are really great. Our lead carries everybody through that scene. So that principal actor carries everybody, but each and every one of those guys know how to listen. And so we're just watching those guys listen to what's happening in that sequence. He's the man when it comes to capturing just people responding to stuff. Think about all of the amazing moments in his movies that you remember most, right? The first time in Jurassic Park where they see the brontosaurus and you have shots, epic shots of people just watching, standing up outside the thing, slowly trying to take his glasses off because he can't believe it. And then she stands up. You know, he does that grab her head and turns her head because she's so involved with the map. He turns her head towards the dinosaur and they stand up and the camera comes up with them. And they're just looking and their jaws drop. That is totally Spielberg. Everything he does. And that's what makes it amazing. I love that shit. So cool. So cool. All right, let's move on to another scene from the same movie. Another one of my favorites. And this is literally at the opening of the film. Okay, so those of you who have Close Encounters, you can put it in and follow exactly where I am. I will put a link to the closest thing I can find on YouTube below, which I think is like just a really shitty shot off a TV kind of thing. But uh, let's play this thing. This takes place uh, very early on. I'm starting this at 3 minutes and 10 seconds into the movie. See if you guys remember this sequence.
2: Is the interpreter with you? I'm not a, a professional interpreter. My occupation is cartography. I'm a map maker. Can you translate French into English and English into French? Yes, yes. I translate to the team leader in Villa Hermosa. I'm just a little taken by surprise. It's all Mr. Lovelin. Lovelin. Oh, pardon.
1: Okay, Jesus Christ, I just got chills and I haven't watched this yet this morning um okay so this is the sequence if you guys remember this this is the sequence i think they're down in mexico and they have found a bunch of missing airplanes that have just shown up in mexico right so they're they're here to do that and they've sent a bunch of professionals a bunch of scientists down there to try to figure this thing out right and so we're following this scene in with i forget the actor's name but i love him to fucking pieces he's amazing still around um, he's the interpreter. So we follow an interpreter into this scene, which is super cool. Right. And so Spielberg sets this scene up in the middle of a sandstorm. So you have all these guys, they're desperately trying to hold onto their hats. They have, uh, bandanas around their faces, trying to keep the sand out of their eyes and out of their lungs. And they all have to yell there's a heightened sense of tension because they're all yelling at each other because they can't hear anything and they don't know why they're there. And there's a sense of confusion and this dust storm that's sort of swirling around them. And Spielberg starts this on a bunch of wides and he has a great amount of extras. This is why extras are really great because it helps build tension. And so he does these uh, slow reveals of the characters, right? The translator steps out from amongst like, I do not know, five, six, seven different extras. He comes to the foreground then when the French scientist comes out, the camera pushes in on them. And that first camera push in on him. Where well, he asks his name, and have you been here? How long have you been working on this project? I got chills at that moment. It's really fucking cool. <laughs> I love that they're speaking in a different language. I love that they're speaking in French. A it makes sense for the story, but B, it's also fascinating because they're having their own little moment of connection while the other people around them have no idea what they're talking about. I love that. It adds texture. It's almost like it's like adding contrast to the lighting. Right? You have stuff that's in shadow, you have stuff that's in the light. It's like it's just adding that depth. You know, because now you have people that are listening that don't know what's being said. Love that shit. Really cool. So you have one guy that comes into a close-up and screams at them. They're all here, all of them, right? And then the music starts. There hasn't been music yet. And the music starts. And everybody runs into the space, though. No. This is where, ultimately, I wanted to start this. And I think this is where the clip that I'll put below starts. So all the guys are running back behind into this junkyard. And this is all one camera shot. Watch this play out. These guys running from close-ups to silhouettes to a wide shot. He's just panning, and this camera's on one dolly. Pans again. Our characters walk into the shot. Walks into a close-up. Then they cut. How cool is that? Talk about a great way to intro that scene. Talk about a great way to get into that scene. It's one of the things that he's fantastic at. It's just simply putting a camera on a line of dolly track and then he just knows how to block 360 around that camera right he knows how to move the actors and then the camera follows those actors and each time there's movement it takes you to another piece of information and then they move to the next piece of information the camera continues to push forward and the camera pans to the left further and then Our actors who have like run around to the other side of the camera are now walking into close-ups and and communicating in close-ups. Fucking classy, right? Then he cuts to inserts of the guys pulling themselves up on airplanes, looking at engine numbers, and they're doing it in such clever, fun ways. Like there's a guy on the shoulders of another actor looking up into it. Uh, A guy runs from behind him in the distance to the left. The camera follows that guy to a close-up of another dude sitting there writing things down on a fucking clipboard. It's really clever stuff. He uses the rudder flapping as like a motivator for a cut. He uses the sound from the rudder flapping to help intensify the sequence. Really cool stuff. What the hell okay. Is okay. Happening here? This like is something that Spielberg's right really down. good with. It's that love it. You'll notice a lot of this in 12 Cam. He's delivering information as the camera moves from left to right, at this point from right to left. That's what he does in all his stuff. Fort
2: Lauderdale. They were doing target runs on an old Who flies? And I
1: fucking love the way he has the background talent sort of posing. <clears throat> Everybody's at full throttle. All of them are at full throttle. There's something really interesting about casting the right background extras because <clears throat> uh, a lot of times you'll get that one or two per- people in the background where it's like, you don't know how to fucking rap cable? You're killing me. You don't know how to do this? You're killing me. Uh, all his background always seems completely engrossed in the sequence.
2: like these anymore. No one. These planes were reported missing in 1945.
1: And then the music kicks.
2: It looks brand new.
1: There it is. Chills, I'm getting chills. I'm getting chills.
2: Where's the pilot?
1: Getting chills. I don't
2: understand. Where's the crow? Oh. Hey! How the hell did it get here?
1: There it is. Super cool, right? So music doesn't come in until it punctuates what he's already been setting up emotionally through the visual language that he's set in the sequence. This is why I want to make movies, right here. Scenes like this are the reason why I want to make movies. Telling you, this is the cool shit, man. This is the stuff that for some fucking reason, everybody has seemed to forget about. Or they don't have time to do, right? And so people are trying to recreate it kind of sort of every once in a while. Like, you know, you got J.J. Abrams and Super 8s. He was really trying to do all that shit. Uh, Stranger Things sometimes tries to, but even Stranger Things doesn't, I don't want to trash talk anybody, but Stranger Things did do it as well. And the problem that I had with Stranger Things is that they, they were more about setting the vibe, right? They'd set the vibe with music. They'd set the vibe with wardrobe. They'd, they'd find bikes, and they'd put flashlights on the front of the bikes. And they have all these different elements that start to make us feel like that that's what's supposed to be, you know? Like, you're like, fuck, this is from the 80s. This is something that I missed. But ultimately, they don't use the same love and respect for the language that Spielberg does. And there's a reason why when you watch Spielberg do something, it's Spielberg. And you go, this guy knows his shit. And he literally will take any sequence and make it into his own thing. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park 1. Amazing. Jurassic Park 2. Really great. Spielberg did those. The new Jurassic World movies, they're not as cool. Right? And it's not because they don't have good talent. Chris Pratt's in that. Uh, Bryce Howard's in that. Like, really great talent in those movies. It's just they don't have the same whimsical love of of the visual language it doesn't fi- when i watch this stuff and i've seen clips of it online i've seen those old movies that spielberg made with him and his pals those old war war ii movies when he was like 15 12 whatever age he was and they went to like an old airplane graveyard with like a small super 8 camera and he shot his friends in these airplanes and he shook them around and then had them chase each other and step on planks that would throw dirt in the air for gunshots. You see all of that fun shit that he was doing then here. All those skills that he was building as a young kid playing around and then the camera moves and my buddy's here and he's looking at a clipboard and he's like, what engine number is that? You know, that's cool. That's the cool shit. You see it with him, you see him with Sam Raimi, right? Like, yeah, I don't know how many of you guys watched the Ash versus Evil Dead series, but uh, Sam, the difference between Sam Raimi's episodes and the other directors that came in to just sort of do it were fucking night and day. And the difference is, is he's got more of a playful, fun love of the medium. He's not trying to recreate someone else's work. He's not trying to replicate someone else's work. And I just need to make sure that I'm 100% upfront about this i don't want to replicate spielberg's work i want to love the visual storytelling language as much as he does and the way to do that the way to get into it the way to get your brain thinking that way is to examine the sequences like we are right now you examine these sequences and you understand what they do and there's some love in there and you know that he did the same you know that these guys all did the same for that We've talked about John Carpenter and we talked about his love of Howard Hawks. And you start to look at the sequences with cowboys and folks from Howard Hawks movies and how they sort of blocked each other. And then you look at a lot of the blocking in the, in the thing and you go, okay, yeah, nope. He was examining that language and using that language to make this thing scary, and crazy, claustrophobic, an ensemble. Cool shit, right? i hope this stuff inspires you guys i really do i hope this stuff gets you thinking differently about this and this is one of the reasons when i start watching stuff on tv i just watched i just watched that fucking power show whatever it was on uh netflix that new powers movie with jamie jamie fox i love fucking jamie fox by the way amazing talent amazing actor Uh, all-around amazing talent but he has the ability to to really bring you into sequences and you believe his preparation every time he walks into a scene right he's amazing in that movie but the movie sucks (laughs) it sucks visually and these guys that are doing it there are two directors on it and these guys that are doing it are trying to throw a lot of magic in there so they're trying to throw a lot of like really crazy camera moves and the camera spins and goes in on people and it's like what does it mean though what does it mean it's not grabbing me by the guts and pulling me into a sequence it's just fucking flipping a camera around or i saw this thing in another movie and i thought this was cool you know i saw um, i saw when the a guy kicks someone the camera spins and they flips and the camera spins with them when he flips and you're just like it doesn't fucking mean anything you know, I think we should start to demand that these movies mean something. I think we should start to demand that these movies grab us by the fucking balls again. Right? And especially in an, in an industry right now that is like starving, right? It's, it's, it's dying. You know, there's an oversaturation of this stuff all over the place and golden age of TV and all that. But then our theater is going to open up again. Who the fuck knows? So I don't know, stuff to think about, stuff that I think about, stuff that's going to be at the forefront whenever I make one of these films, this is going to be the most important portion of it for me, telling a good story, making sure that I'm taking you on a a really great adventure ride and having a fucking great time playing around with the visual language of storytelling. I think that's enough for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And, uh, as always, please continue to follow us on Instagram, whether you're following the podcast, Instagram at In love with the process pod that's in love with the process pod on Instagram. We do a bunch of posts up there. We put up a bunch of content that is relative to the show. Um, and you please, as always follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchi. Uh, you can send me uh, feedback. Let me know if you liked this episode, uh, and repost for me, please take my graphics takes my stuff if you love this shit, repost get your friends to listen to the show The more listeners we have the better the show will be and give me a review where are you listening to this right now are you listening to this on apple podcasts scroll down scroll down keep scrolling all the way down to where they say reviews and leave me a review Give me some stars for today's episode because I got myself. I haven't even fucking showered yet, guys, and I'm out here doing a podcast for you. So the least you can do is leave me a review. (laughs) All right, guys, I love you. And as always, I will see you next Tuesday.